what can I help you with? I've, um, sort of a proposition for you. Oh, steady on. Uh-huh. <laughs> as, as, as you know, I've uh, been um, looking into my Italian roots recently. Oh, yes, you have mentioned it once or twice. Well, I'm planning on going on a trip to Napoli to see my cousin Isabella. Oh, how lovely. You know, I passed through there once, many moons ago, when I was young, carefree and full of spunk. The talk of the street. 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 Welcome to episode 248 of the Talk of the Street, another official Coronation Street Catcher podcast that picked the wrong week to take a vacation, or did we? <laughs> I'm Gavin. And I have just put away the snow village. We're back, bitches. <laughs> Should have killed us last year. <laughs> Whatever that means. You've just put away the snow village. It's yeah, April. Wh- yeah. E- Easter is Sunday. Mm. <laughs> At time of recording. In fairness, the snow village makes me happy. So, and in fairness, and also, to I have. That, the snow village makes me very unhappy because it eats up all my uh, counter space in the kitchen. It does not. It does. It, it, it does. It, it's on the side of that one counter that is not kitchen it, space it anyway. It's space. It's bar space. Ah. But as long as you're happy, though, right? That's right. See, and I'm, the kids. I'm learning, I'm learning. And the kids love it. But the kids the love The kids don't love it. <laughs> they do, but they love Bollocks. it. Listen, but they love it because it means they don't have to dust when they clean the <laughs> living room. Oh, well, there is that. But my, my deal with them is, is that, you know, we keep it up as long as there's snow. And we had quite a bit of snow in March. So, and then we were away. Interesting that you make a deal with them. <laughs> I made a deal with you. I have a binding contract with you. We have paperwork. To, 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 <laughs> to love and cherish. And obey. That's not in there. Damn it. <laughs> so we're back from vacation. We are. We how, went, was, how was your vacation? You're a bit sniffy. We went back to Tennessee. Yeah. Let's we, not do that again. Let's not go no. back somewhere again. Well, we had to. We missed a dead president. And the kids hadn't been there. so Bad planning on our part. Yeah. last year meant that we skipped the city of Greenville, Tennessee, which is the final resting place of Andrew Johnson. May he rest in hell. Who I think is the 32nd dead president's grave that we have now visited. Right. And that's Tennessee done. Right. The so 17th there's, there's president couple, of the United States. There's a couple other ones. Yeah, yeah, he was one after Lincoln. Right, yeah. He's the one who fucked up Reconstruction because he was a drunk racist southerner who shouldn't have been vice president doesn't say any of that on his gravestone either it's shocking there are double fences around it though Mm -hmm. (laughs) a a spit guard right there isn't one of them but and and a couple who are definitely having an affair having lunch on the bench right in front of it not the first couple that we've seen having an affair at a (laughs) graveyard where a dead president is lying yeah one of the seems to be a a popular uh lookout point right a lot, a lot of times when we go to visit dead presidents, 
There are other people there to visit those dead presidents. I love it when that happens. Here, nobody was there to see the dead president but us. Because when there's somebody else there to see the dead president, I can mosey on up to them and say, <laughs> do you go to many uh, graves of dead presidents? And they'll go, oh yeah, well we've been to one or two. In fact, this might be our fifth. What about you? Oh, this is my... 17th or whatever it was 32nd but it's a 32nd so yes. we're running out of dead presidents yeah uh, we have to go back to Massachusetts to see the Adams is 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 and hopefully the church will be far, open a two far time. in the same place every time we've gone the church has been closed mm-hmm. so hopefully this summer when we drop a ch- at least one child off in Connecticut we'll swing by there and then we have one in upstate New York who's up in upstate New York in Buffalo and uh, who we were going to visit this winter, but then a blizzard got in our way. We still need to do Kansas and Eisenhower. Now, we've been to Kansas before. We've been to Walt Disney's hometown in Kansas, but we weren't doing dead presidents when we were in Kansas. Or we forgot there was a dead president in Kansas. I can't remember. We have to go back to Texas because H.W. Bush was ungracious and didn't die before we went to texas he died it was a close almost immediately after we went to texas and then we have to go to california to visit reagan and nixon and i will be bringing my nixon candle to light at the grave of richard nixon and i'm just i'm wondering when we go to california should i pack him in my suitcase or on my in my carry-on and what will what will TSA think of a wax head of a dead president? So, yeah, we have some dead presidents left. Not many. Not many. I mean, there are some living ones who... Still talking about this. There are some living ones who, you know, we, we may have to go to Georgia soon. Um, we're just, just hoping that Jimmy Carter... I am going to skillfully move this conversation on from dead presidents. Oh, I thought you were looking to see who was in Buffalo so Uh, we could end this conversation. uh, And um, I was just filling time uh, um, because I'm a professional. uh, um, But I think regardless, I've had enough. (laughs) And I'm sure... uh, You cannot leave the audience hanging. Millard Fillmore. Millard Fillmore. That's right. How could we forget that name? Shall we preamble, my dear? Yes, please. Give me some of that presidential calling news. Oh, did you enjoy your vacation? No. No, I don't like going back to places we've been. Yeah, we should have done New things. Places. We should have done things in Tennessee we hadn't done. Which, in fairness, we did. We went to the Johnny Cash Museum. We hadn't been there before, and we went bowling. Cody News. We've never bowled in Tennessee before. Rob Burrow, former rugby player who suffers from motor neuron disease, visited the cobbles this week to lend support for the Paul storyline dealing with MND. He has much praise for the show in in bringing more attention to the disorder. Yes. It's a family affair on Corius. Anthony Cotton's real-life mum will be returning to the show to play Rufus's housekeeper. Oh, really? Yes. In 2002, she played a character named Joan Lawson. In 2006, an old crone. Yes, that is how she was listed <laughs> in the credits as old crone. Showbiz. In 2011, John State bumped into her in a lift. She wasn't even given a name in that instance. Right. And in 2014, she played a bingo player named Maureen Rothwell. (laughs) So, welcome back, Anthony Cotton's mom. Maureen Rothwell. That's just old lady name bingo right there, isn't it? Yeah. I think her her real life name is Enid. So, 
Oh, so also it kind of plays old lady named Bingo, right? In real life, Enid Cotton. Just the name Cotton just evokes. Well, to me, it evokes Puritans who wanted to murder <laughs> women as witches. But you know, yeah, I, there's a, a. It makes me think of uh, spinning jennies and <laughs> the Industrial Revolution for some reason. And finally. Sue Cleaver's dog pooped on the set of the show, proving well, once again that everyone's a critic. A, a new law in, in Corrie News, I think, we've talked about. Do you know what her dog's name is? Well, let's, first let's just let's just take a moment just to unpack that a little bit, because we've, we spend a lot of time talking about people who are no longer in the show. Right. Which is a bit of a bugbear of mine. Right. But now we've... We're not really talking about the the character or even the, the actor. It's now the dog. No, but yeah, but it's an actor who's still on the show. Yeah. Her now, dog. If, if Sue Cleaver had defecated on the street, that would be a completely different story. I don't think we'd be the ones who would be breaking that one. I think that one would have already been in the news. Well, obviously, it was already in the news because that's how I found it. Proper in the news, though. <laughs> Proper in the news. Yeah. Her dog's name is George, and I was trying to figure out a way to word it to say Sue Cleaver's George, because George is the name of the Undertaker. I know that. And you know, we make we we have a lot of fun with David the dog. Yeah. You know, and his owner pissing in the street. Mm-hmm. But it just it just wasn't working out. But I couldn't let it go. <laughs> it was hilarious. Is that Corey News? That's Corey that News. That is Corey News, which leads us neatly onto Will Podcast for Coffee. Ew. Who's taking a shit in your coffee this week? Thanks to Jackie. You. Thanks, Jackie. Thank you, Jackie. Thank you for buying us our coffees this week. I am back, Jackie says, after a three-month break from Corey because it was becoming overwhelming. That's an interesting adjective to use, Jackie. Well. Podcast is as good as ever. Enjoy your coffees. Buckle in, Jackie, because it's still overwhelming. Picked a a big old week to come back to. Seriously. Thank you so much for buying us our coffees this week. See. I'm still drinking my Canada Dry because it is... Nine o'clock in the evening. And I am drinking cranberry juice out of a great Muppet caper glass. But rest assured, this coffee money goes on to a card that is used to buy coffees. So yes. we will very much enjoy that. Thank you again. Yes. The Talk of the Street is and always will be free on your podcast provider and on the YouTubes. Don't forget about the YouTubes. Don't forget about the YouTubes. And if you think our show is worth anything more than the time it takes to listen to it, and if you want to show your appreciation, you can buy us next week's coffee by going to ko-fi.com, that's K-O dash fi.com slash the talk of the street and we'll be very grateful won't we helen yes and now this welcome 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 to last year tonight with me john oliver just enough time to quickly talk about tinker time oh what has craig done now Is he, is he spending, is he going on a date with his mother? That's right, this was Craig having to pretend that he'd been a contestant on X Factor. 
to explain why John recognised him. Remember John? No. Emma's boyfriend who... Fa- Who's, whose, whose grandfather, grandfather fake, fake killed. killed, yes. yes. Wow. Forget Chico time, said Craig. It's Tinker time. Forgot. All, you know, I had blanked all of that out of my memory. I cannot believe he sacrificed so much for her just for her to be showing an interest elsewhere. Well, we shall get to that. Yes, we shall. It was a good week to be a Corey content creator because Tyrone wore his Spartan shirt again. Woohoo! And Kev said, fill with two L's. Yes. <laughs> we have not seen that Spartan shirt since, have we? I think we've seen it once since then. Hmm. It keeps it for special occasions. I like that. Yeah. Our friend- it's too bad we didn't go back to Dollywood. We could have gotten him a Dollywood t-shirt. That would have been hilarious. I think I've bought him enough t-shirts. <laughs> Our friend Steve pointed out that the second airing of the t-shirt meant that it's probably logged and catalogued somewhere in the Corey archives, which is pretty cool. With his move to Australia coming up, John finally discovers the truth about his granddad's death. Toya decides to try and adopt Elsie on her own while Imran's entire life begins to unravel. Roy convinces Nick that allowing Sam to continue playing chess may be a perfectly acceptable way for him to deal with his grief. That whole chess storyline then was a year ago? Yeah. That doesn't seem that long ago. Seems longer. You think so? Yeah. Tyrone tries to put on a brave face as Fizz leaves the street to begin a new life in a fancy new house with Phil with two L's. Everyone wants... I miss him so much. Seriously. Everyone wants to give some of their opinion on her drinking exploits from the previous week. Daisy and Daniel's cohabiting bliss is threatened when Nikki arrives with news of a job offer at Weddy High. Uh-oh. She's to be a stand-in sex cardigan wearer. <laughs> And despite Gary and Maria's repeated attempts, Kelly refuses to visit her rapidly declining mother in hospital. Tim's mum still hasn't left, and she still hasn't left. Steve demands identification. Shirley Bassey sues. Our moment of the week was Kelly grieving Laura's death at the hospital. That was a really, really good moment of the week. It really was. And a boring moment of the week was Daisy and Daniel talking about pots. And that was Coronation Street and the talk of the street, this time last year. Now, we have an awful lot to get through tonight. So, shall we dive in, my dear? If we must. You are just off the back of watching four and a bit hours worth of Coronation Street. How does it feel? Boys, are my wings tired? Oh, that's a different joke. Never mind. Yeah, you saved it all up to watch two weeks worth in one right. late afternoon slash early evening with an awful lot of traumatic stuff it was like trying to binge watch ozark <laughs> i wouldn't wish that on anybody no because that's just just one episode of ozark is torture well, at least there were no blue lights no, well, that's true. <laughs> in coronation street well let's talk about not it. to give them any ideas let's, for the future let's talk about the the ryan stuff then from mostly from Monday, aye, when we were we were off, and I kind of suspected that we were going to be out for a, a big old week. Mm-hmm. I and didn't we actually, were. I didn't actually miss not talking about this. No, last week, no, because it really was harrowing. What happened? In case you don't know, it was Daisy's wedding day. Yes, and uh, what's his face? Ju- Justin. Justin. How could you. you forget? You sing about him Jordan. all the time. That would Justin, be funny. Uh, yeah, so it was Daisy's wedding. Justin showed up. 
says to her, we'll see who loves you after this, and goes to throw acid at her, Ryan kind of gets in the way of it, takes the brunt of it in his face. Accidentally. She gets some of it on her her chest. chest. Justin flees, is eventually caught by the police, but the main part of the episode was the immediate aftermath of that acid attack. Right, when they're both in shock, and Ryan is screaming in pain... And, and then Daisy finally kind of crawls to her phone and calls for an ambulance and gets some information about what to do. And then she's actually the hero of this. She does this. it r- remarkably well. I, I, I know that she was uh, very much uh, hurting herself right. and in shock herself, but she was the, the clear head that that situation yes. needed by getting Ryan into the shower and getting reducing the damage that the acid was right. doing but what really got me from and i knew that this was happening and i hated the idea of it right because it well it's just a horrible thing to, right. to happen it's a horrible thing to happen at the time of night that coronation street goes out at right i was not looking forward to it mm-hmm. and i was uh, i had the fear for it a little mm-hmm. bit watching it i think it was harrowing i think it was disturbing and dark but I did think they did it very, very well. I have to say, when when it was when it first, you know, when spoilers first started coming out about who was actually going to be injured in this attack, I was a little disappointed in the show because it felt like it was all Daisy's trauma, and then at the last minute Ryan steps in. But the way it happens, where he's just walking in and just happens to be the you know, in front of Daisy. It's she not, has no he idea doesn't, what he's doing. Right. This isn't Addy jumping in front of the, the bullet. No, this is, yeah, this is not the White Knight. This is, this is this an is, accident. This is yes. goofus, you know, just happening to be in the wrong place at the wrong time. And then Daisy is given this opportunity to be the hero, to be the one who, even though she is hurting, mm-hmm drags Ryan to the shower and gets him in the shower and then finds the scissors and cuts his clothes off, you know, to reduce the damage and everything. And she saves him mm-hmm. more than more than him saving her. Yeah, and he recognizes that as well when he's later in hospital. Right. And, you know, he says to her, I have you to thank for for an awful lot of this because right. you, you did this with no regard to the 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 damage that you could have done to yourself by right. doing it. Yeah, because she could have been harmed by cutting the clothes off and right. everything. So I thought, uh, as much as I have hated the storyline all the way through, and still hate it, mm. especially on top of other things, which we will talk about later, you know, and it just seems like trauma overload on the show. Yep. I thought it was handled well. I, I so wish too. it was the only trauma storyline we were dealing with at the at the time, and it wasn't right after another trauma storyline, which was right after another trauma storyline. Agreed. But for what it's worth, it was done well. They, they had those little flourishes that they like to put in for special episodes, big episodes, where there's like a dream sequence and there's kind of haziness. Yeah, but I that, hated that. Of, of that course, that was awful. Of that was so bad. But that haziness kind of came into <laughs> uh, good use when, after the attack, and mm-hmm. Ryan screams. I can't describe how chilling they yeah. were. It was 
it was awful to listen to. It was, you know, you're kind of closing your eyes. You're not seeing anything, but no. because the screams are so are so intense and so believable. But anytime the camera is on them, it's out of focus. Yeah, and it's fleeting. Right. So you don't really see what damage has been done. You see right. him with lots of bandages on the side of his face later on, and right. he is having what you would imagine is kind of post-traumatic stress disorder stuff. Right. And anxiety and doesn't want to see what he's what he looks like. Yeah. Alia looks like she's going to be by his side, which is nice. Yes. And although he was pushing people away, he seems to be letting her in. And we don't really visit the story again this week. I'm a little confused about the whole crystal aspect of this. Because we see her once and Daisy calls to her and Daisy, you know, tells her what's happened. And then Daisy goes and tells Brian that she has seen her and she has told her, her what has happened. But we never see her come. We never see her like be in shock and whatever is going to happen there. It feels like that's not a character that we're really going to be well, I don't, I don't seeing know. I don't know much. if it was the, the, the last of them. No, but it, it does but feel the, like the show is very much leaning into, oh, Alia is going to take him back. Right, and, and, and maybe he's not going to leave. And maybe that. Well, right. It's. I think it's been confirmed that this is not Ryan's exit story. No. And I imagined this is absolutely Ryan's exit story right. because who can be bothered putting that makeup on every his day. face every time he's in an episode, right? And having to get it exactly the same right. because people like us, right? Will say, well, that looks different. Yeah. You know, pedant- pedantic because people. we're assholes. Exactly, assholes <laughs> like us will. <laughs> Well, make memes on about our it. Dicks. We won't make memes about it, but you know, it's a difficult <laughs> we thing will to, absolutely to keep make the, memes about it to keep the continuity right. But apparently, it's not his exit story. So maybe, maybe the crystal character will have a a say in this after all. Yeah, I really felt like it was really done really well. Yeah, like I said, I didn't really that like dream sequence beforehand. Never a good idea. Never a good idea. And was just really corny and goofy, and I don't I don't feel like it was needed. No, of course it's not. It's never needed. It's never needed. Stop doing it. Um, <clears throat> big kudos to Ryan Prescott and Charlotte Jordan. I think the, the unsung uh, star of Monday was Sally Ann Matthews and her dress. Jenny was great. Yes. On on Monday, because she told Daisy, "Don't you dare be blaming yourself for this. This no. is this is not you." And we'll we'll hear similar things right. said in the other storylines. But in that moment, she was when she kind of took control of that. I thought that was I thought that was great. And it was it was good to give Jenny that that motherly right. And then yes, and then Yasmin with Alia. Where Alia's like, poor Ryan, and, and she's like, no, poor you. Right. <laughs> you know? Right. You, you've just gone through all of this trauma yourself. You can't, mm-hmm. you can't fix everyone, and it's not your responsibility. So, yeah, the mums were out in force this week, and right. I was absolutely delighted by it. So, quickly then, the other things that happened the week that we were off. Uh, Brian's Italian. Yay. He's 8% I- Italian and now a quarter Scottish, but I don't know why he's focusing on the Italian. I'm glad that he's focusing on the Italian. Because, yeah, we don't need to see him in a kilt. No. But, I mean, 
Actually, I have seen him in a kilt already. I'm sure. It's fine. I'm sure he cuts a fine dash. <laughs> um, I actually kind of enjoyed the whole Brian thing. I did as well. It was fun. It was funny. I like Brian and, and Mary and Roy and Rita together. It's pompous the, Brian. The, What's the, not comedy, the comedy is great. And it's just hilarious. And I know why he's focusing on the Italian, because that's probably the most exotic he's got in his bloodline. <laughs> I have taken a DNA test and I could not be more white. I've gone back to great, great, great grandparents and they're all Scottish and they all lived in about a 10 mile radius of Falkirk. So I just uh, equally as exciting. I just discovered that my uh, my Dutch great, great grandmother was actually born in Scotland. I think it was like while they were on their way to America. But still, you know. So Could not as, be more white. So long as Brian isn't swinging over the, the border governors and beating projectile vomiting on them, right. I'm okay with Brian being pompous in a storyline. Right. And I quite enjoyed that as well. Yeah, it was fun. The whole and coffee taste test was hilarious. Right, and there's plenty more of that. Well, there's some more of that this week. Right, because his cousin is coming to his Italian cousin is coming to visit, and will probably be well. We'll get to that. A scammer or something. We'll see. We had Paul working at the law office briefly, which was just a way for Paul to find something out this week. It wasn't very good. He was dropping things. He's still having problems with his hand, but he has appointments with consultants that are coming up in this week's storylines that we'll talk about. Right, yeah, and he got this job in the law office because Didi felt sorry for him right. and knew that he needed to make money. And then the, the other main story really was the Amy and Aaron stuff with Amy finally going to the police to... Right. and finally telling her parents. Right, and to report the rape. Yeah. And I saw an awful lot of D.S. Swain getting a bit of stick for uh, her grilling of, of Amy in the interview. Yeah. And while I agree that that was... It's kind of difficult to, to watch that yeah. because she wasn't hugely sympathetic, but she was doing, I think, what, what her job probably needs her to do. Uh, I I was of two minds with with that particular part because it was like this going that far back they did not need to go that far back into Amy's phone no to deal with this you know to deal with this particular complaint and some of the stuff but the defense would well they could pro- they should be able to limit discovery to just what is pertinent to the case. Yeah. And it, it doesn't feel like the stuff with Jacob is really pertinent to the case, except that it makes Amy look like a slut. Right. Which is just the the worst sort of, well, you know, if you got drunk and had sex with your boyfriend in a club and remembered it, then you would remember this. And it's like, that's not how that works. Mm. It was always going to be he said, she said, and it was going to be very difficult to get a... Uh a conviction right especially that. since she waited so long right but i mean this is why women wait so long so, or never report at all because because this is it's it's still very much a broken system on this side of the ocean as well so going into it, aaron's been released without charge yeah the case is essentially dead right steve and tracy know about it and Amy has asked them not to make a big deal about it. Right. And that's pretty much... Because she doesn't want other people on the street to, to know. know. Yeah. So that's... Oh, and Summer knows. 
because yes. Summer finding out that they slept with one another was the thing that finally broke Amy into telling her parents. And Summer very came very close to not believing Amy. But then she did and then, believe. And then quickly did. And I was like, thank God for that because... Summer's got enough going against her without bringing this into it. Right. I was, I was, I was really intrigued by that because the way some of the conversations and interviews were going about this storyline, it seemed like it was the young crew who were going to be divided mm. as far as what happened to Amy. And it feels like it's actually their parents yeah. that are going to be divided. And that to me, is a little bit more interesting. So let's get into that then and talk sure. about the storyline this week. Right. Let's talk about rape. We're still not calling Aaron a you-know-what yet. Except we, Except we, now we, we finally are. are. Okay, so we can call <clears throat> it... We're finally calling Aaron a you-know-what now. On Monday, early morning, Tracy wants to protest Amy's position and Amy wants to drop it and Steve wants to do what Amy wants, but it's too late because Tracy's already posted the street urging people to take rape seriously and defund the police, probably. Yes. Who would post their own house, says Tracy. It's a perfect crime. Nobody knows it's going to be us. <laughs> Later, Stephen Tyrone are talking about the posters and Tyrone approves, reckoning he'd kill anyone who'd do that to Hope or Ruby. Meanwhile, at the garage, Aaron is less of a fan and rips the posters down from the shutters, which isn't suspicious at all. Abby and Peter are in the flower shop for unbelievable reasons when they all spot more posters coming out of the shop printer. Mary pleads ignorance, which means it must be Tracy. Why would Tracy be fly-posting about rape? Asks hmm. Peter. And Abby seems to put two and two together here. So Abby approaches Aaron and accuses him of raping Amy, while Peter goes round to number one to see Tracy. And before Abby can press Aaron more, Tyrone appears and whisks him off <coughs> to a breakdown or something. Meanwhile, in number one, Peter learns that the case against Aaron was dropped for insufficient evidence. Peter suggests that his fists are sufficient, but a frustrated Amy tells him to let it go, and she's mortified that people now know that it's her, because if Mary knows, everyone's going to know, which I thought was a little unfair on Mary. And Mary didn't tell anybody, I don't think, did she? Well, we don't see Mary tell anybody, no. but all of a sudden, everybody knows. Tracy goes off to sort it. Later, in a quieter moment, Peter apologises to Amy for getting it so wrong. He knows a bit about the situation after Carla was raped by Frank. Peter reminds Amy that nothing she did was to blame for what happened. It wasn't her drinking that got her raped. It was a boy who raped her that's responsible. And the system is wrong. Peter is great here. And this scene overall, I thought was just awesome. Yes. Yeah, that was really good. Tracy's at the law office wanting to know how to get the police to, cha to charge someone. Adam has to explain law to her and how the CPS won't prosecute if they don't think they'll win, which makes Tracy think this is all about money, which I well, guess in a roundabout way it is. It is. Abby finally gets a word with Aaron, who of course denies everything, but he actually now sounds like he believes what he says. Previously, I think his denials were always a little bit, they were insistent, but they were a bit half-hearted. His, his, his expression kind of suggested that he wasn't so sure, but now that the police have let him go, he seems very, very sure that right. he didn't do anything wrong. Right. Abby, to her to her credit, and there's not an awful lot of credit to Abby in the storyline, she has kind of used Aaron as a substitute Seb, mm -hmm. and I think it's clouded her vision <clears throat> a wee bit. Yeah, I think she maybe said the other week that 
Aaron said would have got on well. Which I don't which think is true. I don't think it's true either. Um, yeah, no, Abby, to her one credit in this whole thing, says to him, well, that just, that doesn't mean that you're not guilty. It just means that they can't prove it. Mm-hmm. You know, she's trying to gently kind of let him know that that's not, that what he thinks that means isn't necessarily what that means. Yeah, but I don't think he understands that still. No, he really doesn't. And she, at this point, is very much of the team that is on the side of her best friend and her best friend's daughter, but very quickly chooses to just pick the side that nobody else is on. Right. Which I think is, I mean, we'll get to it, but I think it's, I think that's fine mm-hmm. in terms of the storytelling. I mean, I think having someone have an unpopular opinion or a or a badly judged position isn't necessarily a bad thing. This goes back to why isn't Craig a racist? Right. Because there was a chance to make Craig a racist copper, and they they dodged it. But here we've well, got he was Abby, still kind of racist. But he was fixed within a week. Well, here we've got Abby, who is kind of on the rapist side a bit and by a bit i mean entirely but we'll get to it anyway yes so anyway tyrone overhears that these accusations fly and uh aaron insists that he's not a rapist and i think that's the first time that he actually said the word Mm -hmm. tracy's next stop after the law office is the police station where she glues her hand to the desk and refuses to move until someone does something about Amy being raped and until someone fetches an oily substance that'll break down the the cyanoacrylate bond neither of which D.S. Swain looks capable of doing Gugon, Gugon will work Tracy has to ask Swain to call Daniel for her, which was quite funny D.S. Swain is sympathetic to the cause but Tracy doesn't care back home Abby has decided to take Aaron's side Believing his denial and realising that he's got no one else on his side because when Tyrone arrives, he tells Aaron to take a couple of days off. And Aaron doesn't know why Amy would throw him under the bus like this and doesn't appreciate being treated like he's different here. But Tyrone stands firm for now. It's interesting because I think deep down Abby knows better. And I think because every time she confronts him about it, he says no I didn't do it. And Abby never pushes him. Abby never says, well, why would Amy say this? Mm-hmm. What you, if, if that's not what happened, then tell me what happened. Right. Because Aaron never says what happened. He, you know, he just says, I didn't do it. Yeah. That's not what happened. Nobody is saying to him, well, tell me exactly what happened. And we don't get to hear his police interview. So we don't get to hear what he said to the police. Mm. So, I mean, I find it, <coughs> I find that frustrating and also, but also really interesting because it, it, like I said, it kind of insinuates that there's a part of Abby that still does not believe him and does not want to know the truth. But it's frustrating because... You know, as a lot of people have pointed out on the Twitter, if somebody is completely passed out, they are dead weight. Mm -hmm. So for him to be able to maneuver her enough to get her knickers off Mm -hmm. and then maneuver her enough to rape her, he, he had to have known... 
that she was unconscious. She expended the effort and energy. Right. In doing this, absolutely. Yes, even drunk, he must have... Well, wait a second. She's not doing anything. She's not saying anything here. I'm doing all the work. Mm -hmm. And I mean, I'm assuming that eventually we will get there. Oh, absolutely. I think from the point of view of Aaron's interview, I think he probably just said exactly what happened, just missed out the point that Amy was unconscious. Which, Which gives people the opportunity to say things online like, Oh, well, he he was really drunk, too, so he probably didn't notice that she was unconscious. Yeah, it's a strange position to take, a strange yeah. hill to die on, that someone who is drunk when raping somebody is somehow admonished of any responsibility for right. what they do because they're drunk. Because that doesn't work if you're drunk driving. Right, yeah. If you're drunk driving and you hit and kill someone, you, don't say, you well, still go to jail. What do you expect? I was I'm drunk. I'm fucking when I'm driving that car. You expect <laughs> me to drive well? Of course yeah. I'm going to crash it. And and yet, when it comes when it comes to comes to rape, it's I I sense a little bit of denial here because I think a lot of people are, or maybe not a lot of people, but some people certainly are. If that means that Amy was raped, then what does that mean for me? Right. It you know I think there are a lot of people that are like, well, if that was rape, then I have been raped, or yeah. if that is rape. I have raped someone. I have raped someone. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think that is that is not something that an awful lot of people want to be confronted with, especially from a soap opera. <laughs> Which was pretty much <laughs> verbatim what I was about to say. Yeah. Yes. That's it's 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 shocking that we're married. <laughs> One day it'll it'll <laughs> it'll feel normal, I guess. <laughs> So back home, Steve has made pies for Amy while wearing a a busty French maid apron. Yeah, which that, seemed oddly inappropriate for that the circumstances. Seems very inappropriate, and I just kind of yeah. Oh, Steve. It was like really, really coronation street because we've seen him in other aprons before. Why this apron? Or maybe don't make pies. Anyway, he gets a call from Daniel to let him know where Tracy is at the station. DS Swain is dissolving the glue when St- Steve and Amy arrive. at and both of them are shocked, and they're shocked further when Daniel's journalist friend turns up for an interview with Tracy. Amy just wants them to leave it, and she rushes off, upset. In the pub later, Peter and Tyrone meet up. Peter doesn't really want to talk about it, but mentions that he'll restrain himself from battering Aaron, which Tyrone takes as an admission that, from Amy that it really did happen. Back home, Steve and Tracy chat about how upset Amy was about all this. They hate seeing her this way, and Tracy just wanted to do something to make her feel less down. And this is interrupted when the journal turns up looking for that interview. Steve tells her to fuck off, and Amy overhears all of this, and kind of overhears all the the, the bother that this is causing, uh-huh. and the distress that it's causing for uh, Steve and Tracy. Mm-hmm. And she's obviously uncomfortable right. by all this. So Can she I- just... Uh, sorry, I don't I don't mean to interrupt you, but I just thought of something that happened that I thought was really interesting and that we didn't talk about earlier in the storyline. Uh, the conversation Steve and Tyrone have. Tyrone is in this story an awful lot. Mm. Um, and I understand he's kind of Aaron's boss, so it kind of makes sense. But still, when the when the flyers are f- the first day that the flyers are up. Tyrone and Steve have a very interesting conversation about them. And Tyrone says something about, well, you know, I have a daughter. Yeah, I have daughters. I mentioned all this. 
You did? Did you? Yeah, you were on your phone at the time. Was I? Mm-hmm. No. Yes. Well, you mentioned it, but the, the, the fact that Steve then has to say to him, I, who said anything about daughters? Did you mention that? I don't think you did. No, but Tyrone said that uh, he would kill whoever it was. Right. That the- yeah, but the interesting part of that conversation wasn't that part. It was Steve saying to him, where does it say anything about daughters on this, on this flyer? Which, you know, was interesting to me because it's kind of the show acknowledging that it's not just daughters who get raped true and you know especially well i guess not everybody knows that david has been raped i think we've established that not everybody knows that Mm -hmm. but or paul for that matter we've had two rape stories right before this that both involved men and i just thought that that was a i kind of wished that that was explored a little bit more um but I was glad that it was at least mentioned, you know, the whole, it's not just about daughters sort right. of thing. And also the whole, you shouldn't have to have a daughter to care about this. Right. So Amy's overheard the the kerfuffle in the house and she decides that she's going to change her tune. She says to Stephen Tracy that she's had to think about it and maybe she got it wrong and maybe she wasn't raped after all. It was just a mistake and mistakes are something that she can cope with. So she wants to put all this behind her. Stephen Tracy fall for it somehow but when we next see Amy, she's crying her eyes out. Yeah. On Wednesday, it's morning at number one and Amy finds that she's out of milk. So she goes to head out the door. But upon seeing that that fucking scaffolding is still there, she panics and she runs back inside. <laughs> yeah, I was having flashbacks of uh, the beginning of lockdown. <laughs> you know, it's like, ah, people run away, right. run back into the house and lock the door. And then rolls Addy checks on Amy with Tracy, but Tracy has beaten herself up about spilling all the beans, and she asks Addy to drop in and see Amy later. Meanwhile, Tracy and Adam chat about Amy's revelation yesterday, which Abby overhears, but she only overhears half the story. Right. She hears the bit where Amy is playing down the assault now and saying that it didn't really happen, but not hearing the bit that Tracy doesn't believe a word of it. Right. So Abby hightails it to Aaron and gives him the edited news that Amy is now saying that Aaron didn't rape her after all. Right, which is not what she was saying. She just said, I may have gotten it wrong. The nightmare's over, weeps Aaron, and he hugs Abby. Careful, Abby. He'll rape you. Later in the street, Addy confronts Aaron about the rape and looks like he's about to swing for the rapist scumbag, but Aaron says that Amy's changed her story, so he's due an apology, and I would have fucking hit him at that point. I would too. Summer is visiting Amy when Addy drops in to check to see if it's true about the rape, and Amy reluctantly agrees, saying that she made a mistake and she can't be sure if Aaron raped her after all. Right, but again, she's saying she can't be sure. She's not saying he didn't do it, and yet... I am so disappointed in Addy. Me too. I am so... I think everyone is. I'm so disappointed in that boy. What is wrong with him? Because he takes us to mean, well, that means I can go to the gig where Aaron, after all, with a clear conscience. Aye, aye, aye. Summer doesn't seem to be buying any of it, but Amy insists. So later, Amy and Summer are watching a box set. Summer checks again that Amy is sticking to her new story, which Amy confirms. Are they watching Love Island? I'm not sure what they're watching. Saying that her off behaviour is pretty much because of how awful she feels for the whole sorry business and betraying Summer's trust and all that. Summer is uncharacteristically understanding. Meanwhile, Addy's posting pics from the gig with his new bestie. Careful, Addy. He'll rape you. Addy and Aaron hit the rovers, which makes Faye and Craig leave in disgust. But more good news for Aaron is that Tyrone has now agreed that he can go back to work. Wait a second, Craig's a policeman. He shouldn't care. Right. Well, I don't think he does. I think it's Faye that cares. 
Faye is brilliant here in a, she really in is. a rare moment of Faye brilliance. Yes. She says there's no smoke without fire. Right. Basically. Yeah. Why are more people not saying that? <laughs> More good news for Aaron is that Tyrone has now agreed that he can go back to work. Meanwhile, Amy is sleeping on the couch at number one and has a nightmare about the rape. Yes. Remembering exactly what happened. On Friday, at number one, Tracy is worried about Amy and wants to spend some time with her over a curry and a movie. Amy reluctantly agrees and challenges herself to go out and pick up the curry herself, which I thought, good for her. Yes, good yep. for her. But later, I think Amy's been doing a shite in speed dial toilets or something because when she comes out of somewhere... Right. She sees Aaron ordering his takeaway and she panics and hurries upstairs and, runs away. and leaves unseen. So Amy gets home later with no curry but chips instead. She claims that Speed Dial was too busy. As she's plating it up, though, Alia rings the bell and hands over Amy's order that she didn't pick up. Tracy snatches it off her and closes the door in Alia's face. <laughs> a woman who was blown up and stabbed a right. mere month and a half ago. And Alia's like, You're welcome. <laughs> Tracy goes back to the living room and asks, what's going on here? How come you lied about the curry? Amy admits she was in speed dial, but nothing happened. She just got confused. Shit happens. Tracy doesn't buy any of this, but Amy snaps at her to leave it the fuck alone. And that's as far as we get with that. (sighs) I mean, in the end, it will all out. Hopefully. It will all out. Hopefully. Amy is not a character who is going to let this go. She is a, a woman of action. She's much like the, uh, the upskirting thing. She's not going to sit back well, and, and let and let this this carry on the way that this is going. She's a different character than she was in the upskirting, as she as she points out multiple times in this storyline. You know, this is the first time she let her guard down since the whole drugging thing. Yeah, she was the person who keep everyone else safe right and watch everybody else's drinks and everything and it's really heartbreaking because at one point i think it's tracy who says do you think he he might have drugged your drink and and um amy says no and i know because i know what that feels like i've been there before that was chilling absolutely you know and and she's she's mad at herself that she allowed this to happen yep after that first, after the, you know, after the date rape drug and mad at Aaron because he was a mate and should have been a safe person to be with. Yep. And it turns out he was not a safe person to be with. And I, I it feels like this storyline is really bringing up an awful lot. There's, there's the fact that the system is broken when it comes to rape. Mm. Completely and utterly broken. And and women are really not protected. Not And not just women. People who are raped are not protected by the system. Right. It's bringing interesting aspects of, of alcohol use and abuse. Because, you know, Aaron keeps saying, you know me, you know what I'm like. You know, he's saying to Summer, look at our relationship and how long it took me to be willing to have sex with you and everything. And, you know, I'm not like that. And it's like, well, this was different because, first of all, you are no longer a virgin. Mm. And second of all, you were drinking Mm -hmm. and you become a different person sometimes. And some would argue you become your true self. 
Yeah, and that's a thing that I think is is really important here is that the there's a separation I think from Aaron's point of view and from people who are there, you know, in the wider world in real right. life, kind of questioning how responsible he is for this because mm-hmm. there's a separation between your your normal sober self and mm-hmm. your and your drunk self it's like right. a kind of Jekyll and Hyde thing and so if if your drunk self is responsible for something that feels like you're you're kind of I think we've said it a little bit already that you're kind of you delegate the, your responsibility to that drunken person right yeah and so when you look back and you say well that's not that's that's, that's not, not me, me. That, that's and that's a really harsh thing to to realize about yourself yeah. is that as a sober person, you may not have raped anybody and you may have gone through your entire life without raping anybody. Right. Good for you, right? Right, yeah. But when you had a Here's drink... A gold star. Right. When you have a drink, you are that person. Right. And I'm sorry. Which means that person that, that, was inside you all along. All along. It's right. just that you needed something to uninhibit you right. from taking that impulse. Right. And that's a stark thing to, to realise about yourself. Yes. And for... For men, mm-hmm. it is a stark thing to realise that there are probably people in your friend group that are that person yeah. when they've had a drink. Yeah. That it is, it's maybe not usual, but it's it's maybe not completely unusual to see things like this happen or right. hear your friends say things that, right. that have Talk happened. Right, talk about the sort of thing happen. Like, well, that kind of sounds like you might have raped that person. Right. Yeah, and nobody, nobody wants to be confronted with that. No, and nobody wants to be the confronter either. No, you know, and and I think, and there seem to be an awful lot of people on the internet who seem to think that consent is taking your clothes off. Consent and, is kissing. Yeah, what? and that's not that's not consent. Do you know what what kissing is consent to? Kissing. Kissing. Right. <laughs> There are different. There are different things, right? And the fact that consent can be withdrawn at any time. The tip of Aaron's penis may have been within sniffing distance, right, of its goal, and they may still had the agency to say no. Thank you very much. No, thank you very much. Right. And if someone does not have the ability to say yes, they have, or they have, they don't have the ability to say no either. So. You know, somebody has to verbally say yes or no. And there's lots of people who are like, well, nobody's ever said yes to me. And I've never raped anyone. Mm, are you sure of it? <laughs> right. You know, I've never asked anyone, is this okay? Well, maybe you should. Yeah. Maybe you should. If someone has passed out and you're making them a cup of tea, you don't continue to pour the tea down their throat when they're unconscious. Correct. The same goes for your penis. Maybe even more so. Yes. Let's move on then to our next story, which is Craig's jumper. Oh, good. A cheery one. <laughs> on Monday. Tim is keen to see Miley again, so has a word with Faye about inviting them round and should like Craig to be there for some reason. But the chat that Faye has with Craig's in front of Beth and Kirk, and thanks to Craig, who insists it'll be fine, he ends up inviting them along too, unbeknownst to Faye. Now, even before this, even before all of this happens, there's a conversation that Beth and Kirk have with one another, calling themselves Miley's grandparents. If I was dating someone, <laughs> if I was dating someone not engaged 
and not married to them. And their parents started calling themselves my children's grandparents. I would take issue with that. What is going on here? I don't think you would take issue with it. I think you would run a mile. Yes. It's so weird. And every and nobody calls them on it. <laughs> nobody not one person Is this normal? Is no. this is this something that happens in the United Kingdom where I think it, I think it's you, you best call normal. where you call your 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 child's boyfriend or girlfriend's children your grandchildren? No, I think if they got married, you'd probably right. start to think about it. But yeah, but not not now. Right, no. or if they were in like a long term, like long term living situation. And given the situation between Faye and Miley, anyway, yeah, it's a little tentative, let's say. Right, because we where Faye still where Faye feels isn't... kind of weird about calling herself Miley's right. mother. Right, because of that, I think in any other. Uh, roots of that family so tree weird. have to be very careful about what they say. So weird. So Faye doesn't catch wind of this until later at work because Craig never ran this buyer. So thanks to being fairly polite, Faye has to go along with it. So later on, Craig proves that he's as adept at meeting young females as he is at protecting older ones from stalkers and either and, rapists. and either forgetting that Miley doesn't know him or doesn't care that she doesn't know him. He makes a massive song and dance about her arrival, as does Beth and Kirk, which results in Miley being overwhelmed. Craig starts making Nino noises at her for... I don't know what reason. I'm a policeman! Nino, Nino! And she's like, who the fuck are you? Mum, what is wrong with you? You have no taste. Jackson is furious and has a private word with Faye, telling her that Miley is shyer than she makes out. Miley insists that she's having fun and, oh, by the way, can we leave right now? Yes. Craig and Beth and Kirk continue to make a massive deal of this as Miley and Jackson hurry away and they're oblivious to what's going on, but Faye is furious. Yes, she is. Craig calls it a breakdown in communication and promises to be as good a stepdad to Miley as Kirk has been to him. Yikes. Faye chokes on her saliva and leaves him to it. Late in the pub, Beth insists that everything is fine. Faye's just grumpy, and Craig should ignore the situation. Great Me- advice. <laughs> Meanwhile, Faye's meeting up with Jackson and Miley at the precinct on their own and have a much better time of it. Faye may be realising that she's enjoying being with her daughter, and maybe Jackson is a better catch than Craig. You think? Back home, Tim seems to have picked up on Faye's new relationship with Jackson. He insists that he didn't mean anything by it, but Faye can barely hide her smirk as she denies that anything's going on. On Wednesday, what the fuck is Craig wearing? <laughs> is this the, the smiley face sunshine? Maybe, maybe sweater. that's what I'm talking about. <laughs> what? Good God, and he's not got a t-shirt on underneath it either. It's just wearing a, a jumper. Uh-huh. Against bare skin. That's weird. <laughs> is it? Yeah, a jumper needs to have a t-shirt underneath it. I don't always, I don't always wear a t-shirt. Well, that's weird. Under like, a jumper? Like that really like soft, cozy one. I never wear a t-shirt because it's so soft. I like it. I like the feel of it against my skin. Well, well. Anyway. Anyway. Craig's jumper is... I guess I do oh have a bra God. on. Yeah, there you go. So it Sometimes. covers some skin. Anyway, he and Faye are going to give uh, Meet and Miley another shot. Craig finds out that Faye found out that Miley likes basketball. So he goes off to get her presents to make her like him. 
Because that always works with kids. Later, he meets Faye in Miley Nina's roles and presents his gift of a catcher's mitt and a ball. You're a fucking plank, says Faye. I said basketball, not baseball. Miley insists that it's okay. Can we go now? In the community garden later, Craig and Miley are throwing the ball about. Well, Craig is throwing the ball. Right. Craig thinks that she's a natural. You really are a fucking plank, says Miley. I've caught a ball before. Right. Thankfully Jackson comes along So Miley's point of escape is confirmed And by God she grabs it with both hands Right and there's an amusing conversation about Michael Jordan And LeBron James Craig knows that Miley thinks that he's an arsehole And really the jumper is not helping <laughs> As they're leaving Miley lets it slip that Faye met up with her and Jackson At the precinct on the down low yesterday And Craig does not take this well In the pub he's still smarting as he points out That it's not just Miley that Faye is spending time with It's Jackson and Faye explains the concept of co-parenting and tells Craig to grow up. And also the concept of children aren't allowed to go places without an adult. Yeah. He admits that he's a twat, but says that he was just jealous and because it was catching them off guard. They make up and then Craig calls Jackson her baby daddy. And that doesn't go down well either. See, he is racist. And that's as far as we get with that this week. Is that a racist thing to say? Baby uh, daddy? Is it? Uh, well... I mean, not. I was kind of making a joke. Oh, okay. But it, it always kind of it always feels kind of cringy when, um, when slang that traditionally feels like it has it initially came from the African American community is spoken by white people, especially pasty white British men who are also ginger. I don't know that the origins of baby daddy are well known. I, I didn't. I wouldn't have said it was just a African American thing. But I then, think those are the origins well, in the rap right. community. Anyway, I know. I just if that's the Craig, worst thing that he Craig does. Just I makes, think I think he's fine. I there's very little that Craig does that does not make me cringe. They're making him out. I mean, he's 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 never great. No, but they're making him out to be an absolute buffoon now. Right. Just the, to the, set up the fae and Jackson thing. Right. right. Yeah. The whole baseball basketball thing, especially the whole the conversation about Michael Jordan and, and he says, Well, I bet he doesn't know how, he, how to play baseball or something like that. And then Jackson has to point out that actually Michael Jordan played major league baseball. Yeah, but secret he didn't Not play it very well. well. But still, you know. Oh, I was going to say, and they were talking about, uh, you know, Michael Jordan and, and LeBron James both being actors and both being good actors. But I think that is a conversation that happened in something else I was listening to today. No, no, it was mentioned that they were both both movie stars. Right. And then, and then some of us cringe a little bit about the idea of Michael Jordan being called a good actor. Hmm. LeBron is a good actor. Well, I think we should move on from that. What, this isn't a Michael Jordan and LeBron James podcast? I don't think either of them are, are any good at acting. Oh, LeBron was great in them, in no, that movie, in no, that Amy Schumer in movie. No, he wasn't. He was great in Trainwreck. No, he wasn't. He really wasn't. He was. For an actor, he's a very good basketball player. No, it's clearly just set up to, to draw Faye closer to Jackson because... Yes. Not that she really needs much encouragement, I don't no. think. But I mean, there's a history there, right? And right. there's a, and I think Craig and is right. And there's a shared child. And Craig is right to feel 
kind of threatened by that right. a little bit. Although Faye has given him no real reason to to feel that way, but I think it's natural to feel until she says does something to reassure him. I think he's probably going to think, well, am I on the outs here? Because potentially you can probably see it, right? That. And I kind of feel like he was already not taking her her early onset menopause very well because oh no he was it was terrible he was, <laughs> it was terrible he was just he was doing and saying the wrong things and then taking offense when she was grumpy and snappy and not mm-hmm. realizing wait a second right this is because of the hormonal changes this is not I mean it's Faye right. but also this is Faye going through menopause right you know so he. He wasn't great. Let's be honest. They have never been great together. And it just kind of makes me throw up in my mouth a little bit whenever either one of them says I love you to one another because you just don't believe it. No. You don't believe it. Nope. It make it make sense. And I'm sorry, but I don't there's nothing that you can do to to make that work. No. There's nothing you can do to make no. that work. So I think it's wise to I'm not saying that... Be throwing Faye into the arms of Jackson. either one of them are unlovable characters. No. But them together loving each other... Right. On, on no level does that work. There is somebody out there for, for both of them. Right. For Faye, it's probably Jackson. Yes. <laughs> for Craig, it's probably... <laughs> but there, there will be somebody there. James. Sure. He's not on the show anymore, but... Why not? There'll be somebody for him, but this this together doesn't work. Has Faye ever learned to drive a car? I don't know. Because all I think that Craig was good for was trying to get her off from killing that old man. Right, yeah. And even then he wasn't very good at it. No. No. All right. Anyway. Moving on. Our next storyline tonight is Tim's mum about the house. On Monday, Tim's mum reminds Stephen that they're due to move in together. Stephen had forgotten, but says that he needs to move some money around so he can have have the deposit to to pay her. Meanwhile, in the factory, Michael lets it slip to Beth and the knicker people that the American deal is back on and there'll be a bonus coming to them all pretty soon. Was this something that happened in the previous week? Michael resurrected this deal much against Stephen's best uh, right. Attentions. Stephen doesn't know that he resurrects this deal by calling the Americans himself, yeah. who are not actually Americans, to try to win them back. And they're like, it's not our fault that we left. And then Stephen makes another lie about, oh, well, it was Car. Well, no, first Stephen makes a lie about that it was Carla's fault because he has to finally tell the Nicker people that mm. the American deal is off. And then Michael's like, well, why did you lie? And, and Stephen's like, because I got a better deal and with some advice from his uncle, Michael uses this to leverage even more money out of the Americans, which Stephen can't say no to. And then he has to make a deal with Rufus where Rufus gets 25% of the profits. By doing nothing. By doing nothing. <laughs> right. This is why Rufus is a rich man. And this 25% is a sticking point and, yes. a, and a bit of a bugbear for Stephen who wants it to be much lower. Or and, and Rufus, non-existent. And Rufus is digging his heels in. Yes. So, uh, when Stephen catches wind of the bonus being announced, he has to conceal his anger and pretend it's not a big deal. He quickly gets on the phone to attempt to renegotiate the deal that he struck with Rufus by offering Rufus less money. Rufus says he'll think about it. 
Rufus thinks about it. Rufus still wants 25% of all right, profits yeah. to keep his mouth shut about the Carla stuff. Right. And he tells Stephen to suck his balls. He'll be sticking with it, and he calls Stephen deluded for even suggesting a change. Why would I accept less, less money? money? Right. And that's a fair point. Yes. I do like Rufus. I do like Rufus now, too. Now that he's not misogynistic. Tim's mum, who doesn't work at the factory, wanders into the factory and overhears Stephen's rage. Who are you on the phone to, says Tim's mum. What the fuck are you doing here, Tim's mum? This is a business. People that's, her, have, that's her fiance. This, she has no business being there. And also her daughter-in-law also works and there. No business. Something else happens between George and Paul this week that really, really gets in my tits. But this got in my tits. Because he's at work. She right. just wanders in and wants to know, well, who's that phone call about? It's uh-huh. none of your business. It's none of your business. If I'm angry at somebody at work, none of your business, Tim's mum. Beat it. I've asked you about work before. You haven't wandered into my office and, well, no. and overheard a conversation that I'm having on the phone and demand to know what it was about. I mean, even when we worked for the same company, I didn't do that. And you were well advised not to. Because <laughs> I worked from home. Because, as you may have been able to pick up there, I would not have reacted well to that. <laughs> so, Stephen Also, explains, you don't yell at people at work. You're very, you're more conscientious at work than anywhere else. Oh, Absolutely. Stephen explains that he was talking to his ex-wife again because she's been taking money from his account again. Tim's mom explains that she's been through all this, tells him to talk to her about these things, not to lie, not to cover things up. And she'll take care of the deposit on the house until the American deal comes through. And he says, oh, pig's tits. I thought this was going to get me out of this. In the pub later, he does say pig's tits. Mm -hmm. In the pub later, Stephen is happier to talk about the bones with Michael and apologises for being a total prick earlier on. And to prove it, he orders champagne or cava. All round for him, Michael, Beth and the Knicker people, confirming that a bonus will be in their future now he doesn't have to cough up a deposit on a house that he doesn't want to move into. On Friday, Stephen and Tim's mum were in Nina's roles talking about their financial situation. Stephen insists that he'll pay his share of the deposit as soon as he can, but Tim's mum thinks it'll all be their share once they've moved in together. What's mine is yours. Ronnie overhears this and is surprised to learn that they're buying in the Red Bank development. They're not renting, they're buying. At home, Ronnie meets up with Michael, and when he learns that Michael is only getting the same bonus as the other Knicker people, Ronnie tells him to grow a pair. Without Michael, there is no Knicker Snapper or whatever it's called, and Stephen's moving into that red bank. That's the kind of levels that you should be operating on. Right. Michael is entitled to a profit share. Mm-hmm. Yes, says Michael. Yes, says Ronnie. Yes, says Michael. Who demands, says Ronnie. Me, says Michael. Where are Michael's parents? <laughs> so... So Michael goes to see Stephen at the factory and is about to go into his pitch when Carla saunters in. All right, ball bags, she says. <laughs> and she's got a ponytail. I really wish Carla's got a bags. ponytail. Carla promises. It looks good on her. It does. She looks kind of refreshed from her little she does. break, doesn't she? Carla promises that she's not here for a long time or a good time. She grabs some stuff and then leaves saying that the factory is low on her list of priorities. With Carla gone, Michael makes his pitch for due recognition and a cut of the profits from the American deal. But Stephen does not react well to this because... He does not. Secretly, there is no cut of the profits, not right. anymore. Nothing in life is fair, Stephen snaps at Michael. And if he doesn't like it, he can fuck off and find some other charity to work for. In the pub later, Ronnie is furious and thinks Michael should be demanding some respect. Michael agrees and seems keen to play hardball on this one. Right, and first Ronnie offers to go and beat Stephen up for him. <laughs> and Michael's like, 
I don't think I'll gain any respect for my uncle fighting my battles but for me. What is with the men on the street who think everything can be solved with their fists? Always a good first option. <laughs> can I beat them up? If so, beat them up. I've never seen you throw a punch. When was the last time I threw a punch? In anger? At all. <laughs> well, I've thrown kind of toy punches and play punches and you know, fisty, right, fisty yeah, things. that doesn't count. A punch at somebody's head, right? Uh, when I was 16, maybe <laughs> I think that's maybe the last time I threw a punch at somebody's head. I missed. Ah, uh, I think I was in my 20s. Oh, good for you. Yeah, did you miss? No, I never miss. <laughs> Two hits, you hitting them, them hitting the floor. Oh, well done. How did your sister react? <laughs> I don't know if it counts if it's a sibling. <clears throat> Siblings fight, don't they? Yeah, they don't punch. Well, what do they do Usually. Then? Just a boot to the pie? Is that what it is? Knife fights. Knife fights. Yeah, because that's... <laughs> punching's worse than the knife fight, surely. Pulling hair. What's that with women and pulling the hair? It hurts. Uh, duh. <laughs> Got to take my earrings out. So, <laughs> shake the gloves off. So, Michael seems to be getting close to... Finding out the truth. Right. Which means that there are a few people that are kind of circling this that are at risk. Right. I don't know if Audrey's still at risk. No, because he's already he's already put that second mortgage on the house or whatever. He's and, already... he, and for all the time that he was worried that this was going to come back to bite when they asked when he was still in Dodge, he's still in Dodge. Right, yeah. It it almost came up, but he was able to... But fortunately, always... they had that conversation. She said she was going to do it in front of him. Yeah, she always says in front of him. Right, so he was able to talk his way out of it. Right. He's Eventually, all... right. he's not going to be able to talk his way out of these things. Or one time, he's not going to be in the room when the conversation's happening. Right. So, I think Audrey's safe for now. Tim's mum... <sighs> Yem I, I don't I don't know. I don't it feels like it feels like and I mean I know he has been drugging Carla, which pisses me off no end. but it kind of feels like if he kills a woman, he stops being funny. <laughs> right. Right. No offense, men. He, he crosses a line when he kills he a woman. He crosses a line when he kills a woman. Yeah. So I think the women are safe for now. I kind of agree. I think that Tim's mum is at is more risk than Audrey. I think there is some risk there, but I think it's still pretty low. Right. Michael, I is, think he's going to have a job killing Michael because Michael is young and fit. Uh, Leah was young and fit. Yeah, but gravity killed him more than anything else. It's true. <laughs> I think Michael is also at risk, but I think Michael is also at risk of being the person who solves all this. Absolutely. Rufus. Rufus is a dead man. Rufus walking. shouldn't be starting to read any long books. No. Or eating any, buying any green bananas. No. I don't think. I'm still enjoying this. I think Stephen's level of being pathetic is almost <laughs> charming as he goes round about killing people it would it would be if you know he got caught but he's so it 
I'm more mad at everybody else on the show that he hasn't been caught yet because he is so pathetic. And I'm so mad that 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 car trunk thing hasn't floated up yet. Right. What is going on? That sh- that canal was not that deep. Chekhov's roof rock. I don't know. It 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 feels like it's just been gone on for so long, and that people. Oh, that's because it has. And people have kind of forgotten about poor Leo. Yep. <laughs> you know, because he barely comes up in conversation anymore. Never comes Jenny up in conversation. Jenny never mentions him or Teddy. Nope. You know, poor guys, both of them. And remember, Teddy was in contact with the police. Yes. And nothing. Right. And the police haven't said, gee, we haven't heard from that guy in a while. I hope he's okay. <laughs> then again, if the show has done anything... It has shown a light on the incompetence of His Majesty's police force. <laughs> well done. Thank Def- you. Defund Weatherfield Police. Defund the royal family. And I'm, and I'm happy to see Carla back. And I'm happy to see Carla saying, do you know what? I don't care Fuck about y'all. this anymore, right? I'm out here, ball bags. Yeah. Yeah, that was nice. I, because you, you could see it on Stephen's face. Yeah, oh, I'm going to have to panic. buy more LSD. The panic on his face when she first walks in. And then she's just like, fuck y'all. She just came in for a whole punch and just left. <laughs> right. And it's so. And then he, he there's this moment of relief. But then there's also kind of a moment of. Well, wait a second. If you don't want it. Why do I still want it? Right. Why am I here again? Why am I here again? I should be panicking and leaving the country because I murdered two men mm-hmm. and stole money from my mother and drugged my boss. And oh, uh, yeah, drugged you as well. Oh, right. And kind of, I'm kind of, uh, what I'm doing with Tim's mom is not exactly whiter than white either. Right. And this is the thing, you know, he's standing over Michael yelling at him saying, do you think I want to be here? Well, leave. leave. You had the money to leave. Get out of there and start somewhere else. Our next storyline tonight is Il Sogno del Cicino. Sniper's Dream. (laughs) On Monday, Brian is down in the dumps because last week he went overboard pretending to be an Italian rather than a Scotsman. To make up for his being rude, he buys Mary Although some we are flowers that he's and not to repay. Like a Scotsman. Mary buys him some flowers back, and it all gets rather confusing. Brian, <laughs> because they keep they keep swapping flowers, yeah. and they're not even good flowers. They're like gladioli. Brian and Mary are toying around their feelings for each other when Brian gets a notification from a DNA ancestor place, and his Italian cousin Isabella gets in touch, and this sets him off again. Privately, in the pub later, Mary tells Roy how worried she is that Brian has been taken for a ride by this Isabella, who could be a big hairy mafioso uh, con man for all anyone knows. Or a con woman. Indeed. Because she's Italian. On Wednesday, Rita and Audrey bump into Brian and Nina's roles. He's on his phone looking up flights to Napoli to meet his new cousin, Isabella. His carbon footprint is going to be the size of his head, he says. Sniper's dream. The ladies are accusing him of getting far too ahead of himself as he hasn't even invited, she hasn't even invited him. Right, yeah, he has, she hasn't even emailed him back yet. He asks Rita to look after the cabin when he's gone. She tells him to bolt, so Brian thinks of asking Mary. In the pub later, he's attempting to ask Mary, but she misinterprets the offer and thinks he's asking her to accompany him to Italy. Yes. And she gratefully accepts a month to Right, and she's... she's 
she talks about her younger, how in her youth, she was in Italy full of spunk. Yes, she was full of spunk. She was full of spunk. Guess what this episode's guess, title is. Guess what all the Ofcom complaints are going to be about this week. Dear Ofcom, the image of Mary being full of spunk <laughs> just pouring out of her. Pouring out of her. Everything. Oh, it, we, we didn't mention it. It's like about, a fondue. We didn't mention it about it last week, but last week there was this really funny scene where Brian shows up at Mary's and she's talking about it sounds like she's talking about him coming around later mm. for sex. Right. But instead it's for board games. Yes. And that was really delightful too. I like how this relationship is forming because you couldn't you couldn't have a more ideal pair to put together yeah. than Mary and Brian. They tolerate each other really well for their for their both their set of idiosyncrasies. Because Mary can be an annoying asshole right. as much as Brian can be. Yes. So I think they kind of offset each other a little bit. Whereas Kathy was always seemed to me to be far more <sighs> down to earth Absolutely. than what than what would normally tolerate a Brian. She could, she could be kind of airy-fairy about stuff, but there's a difference between that and being Mary. Right. Mary's something completely right. different. I'm just happy that we're back to acknowledging that, that Mary is a a fully sexual woman but we seem and be, not just an asexual caricature. We seem to be treating them, though, like a kind of Sam and Diane type thing where there's the... <laughs> There's a raw chemistry between the two of them, but nothing's coming off it. Like Sam and Diane I'm just, from TV's Cheers. I'm just trying to imagine them in Cheers. And just Brian and and not Norm, but Cliff. the other guy. Cliff. Cliff. And just Brian hey, and... Hey, Normie. Brian and Cliff trying to out... Bore. Out intelligent one another when neither one of them knows anything. Right. Carla would kill both of them. Yes. And so would Carla. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so, Brian is happy to play along with this misunderstanding and the two of them are making tentative plans for their trip when Brian gets a message from Isabella telling him that her flat is underwater or something so she's going to come to Manchester to swindle him. I mean, meet him. Oh, pig's tits, says Mary, who was quite looking forward to a trip to Italy. To become full of spunk again. Later in the... Oh, aye. Later in the pub, <laughs> one street has joined them. She remarks that Brian was going to ask Mary to look after the cabin. Brian explains that once Mary mentioned accompanying him, he was rather taken by the idea. So, for a change, a misunderstanding doesn't cause anyone any harm. Well, At least good. no one will get the wrong idea now, says Mary. Yes, quite, says Brian. <laughs> and that's as far as we get with that. Yes. Yeah, it is the the fun storyline that people complain about doesn't exist anymore. And now that it exists, people complain about it. Yeah. Yeah. I like this. I, I do too. I am surprised that we're week two of this storyline. Right. It does surprise me, but I'm I'm perfectly happy with it. Yes, me too. And we're going to go to week three of it. This is going to be a longer storyline by the looks of things. We're going to meet Isabella, hopefully. Right. And then Yeah, this was a breath of fresh air that was much needed yeah. in between, you know, all the trauma porn. Yeah, I could do with more storylines like this. Yes. I, I, I guess we both think that Isabella 
is no more Italian than you or I. Well, she she has to be because they do share DNA and she does live in Italy because she didn't contact him. It was the the family it was the ancestry.com that put them together. I think it's possible it's swindled that. Well, why would you just randomly to rip somebody pick off? Brian? Anybody, you're picking anybody who bites. Right. But you can't really fake DNA. No, but I'm sure you can swindle the ancestry system. I'm I'm sure you could be a con woman and make this work Somehow. for you. Or she could really be distantly related to him and also swindle him. Right. It could be, you know, this has fallen into her lap. And, you know, it, it's kind of like a what's her name with Bernie who just happens to look like Bernie and Bernie just kind of falls into her lap. No idea what her name is anymore. Cannot remember. Moving on, our next storyline, just a few couple of scenes and I'm actually a little sad by this. Hmm. Kill Bill. On Monday, Debbie is back from Germany. Bill... Is He's dead. dead. He, he is died two years ago. An ex- no, four years ago. It was 2018, right? I think so. When the actor died. Yeah, they finally killed off the character. Right. Apparently it was peaceful and full to the brim with morphine. She asks Abby if she can retrieve some photos from number one. And later she gets a few good pics to blow up for the funeral service or whatever. And she goes and looks at them in the community garden and then spends the rest of Monday getting in the way of other storylines. And that's right. all that happens there. Yes. And this deserved... A little bit more, I, I think. I thought so. Are... Especially since they neglected to kill the character off for four years mm-hmm. after the person died. Right. You would think that they would have wanted to... You'd think that the right thing to do would be to acknowledge the character dying when the actual person died. Yeah. It seems odd to do it now. Yeah. And it seems to do it... It seems odd to do it now in such a low-key manner. Yeah. Because... It was almost like Debbie was wandering around looking for somebody to talk to about this. And there, right. was, there was some people there to remember that he existed, but there was right. no real reminiscences of anything. Yeah, nobody who knew him says anything. No. The only person who really says anything to her about it is Abby. And she didn't know him. Right. Yeah. It, it was weird and kind of off-putting. Yeah, it was it, nice it to have Debbie like, back, but... Oh yeah, we remember that this person once existed. So she's back. She's going to go back out of it again for the funeral arrangements, presumably. I do like she her. She wasn't hat. there when he died. No, and that was weird too. It was a weird thing to say that you know she and Kev flew out, but she came back. But we didn't see her come back. Nobody asked her. Oh, how is your dad doing? We only know that she we. We only know that she came back because she's there at that moment. Yeah, it was a complete filler for right. the five minutes that was needed or something. Yeah. Oh, well. Oh, well. Moving on. Our next storyline is Damon Bad Omens 2. On Wednesday, <laughs> Dee Dee is meeting Damon about his court appearances next Wednesday. Sarah comes in looking for Adam, who stood her up for lunch. And Damon loves the sound of this and calls Adam a rotter. Nobody calls anybody a rotter anymore. That's a great word. Apparently he has a meeting in town. Dee Dee notices the chemistry between the two of them immediately. Of course she does. Sarah has her lunch on her own at the Rovers and Damon shows up, reminding Sarah of his wager that he'll better before the summer solstice or whatever. Sarah tells him that he's wasting his time. His mum's birthday. As she plays with her hair and nibbles her bottom lip. Dee Dee meets Sarah in the pub later and warns her that Damon is a fucking pig. He has his sights set on Sarah and the fact that she's married is merely a challenge to him. 
Tread carefully, young Padawan, says Didi, and stop nibbling your bottom lip. <laughs> Sarah's in the bistro later chatting to Nick when Damon comes in and has a bit of a set too with Nick, but then waves a white flag again. When Nick wobbles off crying to his office, Damon <laughs> remarks that Nick plays hard to get just about as well as Sarah does. She's unimpressed and tells him that he's scum and then nibbles her bottom lip for a bit. <laughs> On Friday, Sarah's getting ready for a day at the theme parks <clears throat> and is unimpressed when Adam has to back out because of work. Now, which theme park do you think? It was Alton Towers they were going to go to. Ah. Adam says it's important because the fee from Damon is what's going to pay the bills. Sarah remains pissed off and will have to find something else to do with Harry, like soft play, for example. Soft play! <laughs> Genuinely terrifying. <laughs> At the bistro, Sarah is still annoyed by Adam. Nick points out that his family want nothing to do with him, and no one pays us any attention. Except for Harry, who says, who is the one who brings us. And Nick talks to this wee child, like this wee child is an adult, because Harry's like, can Sam come? No, first of all, Harry says that he wants to do an Easter egg hunt. Easter egg hunt. He wants to have Sam will come. Nick says again that his family want nothing to do with him. Thanks to Damon. <laughs> Harry says, Oh, pig sticks. <laughs> I'd be fucking furious. Well, shit. Right off his arse. Cut. <laughs> oh, see, you you go too far. So Sarah goes to see Leanne to invite Sam to the Easter egg hunt, but Leanne sticks their guns. Nick could be there. Nick is too close to Damon, and Damon is too close to thugs. It's not safe, so it's a no thank you. Yeah, although Sam does want to go. Sam he does, says he's, yes. Yeah, he's, he says, he's over it now. He says yes, please. Yes. He's so polite. Later on the street, Damon gives Sarah a wolf whistle, which does not go down well. She's like, what is it? 1993? Say it properly. What is it? 1993? There we go. After her conversation with Leah, one day, one day someone is going to say it like that on the show, and I'm going to fucking die. <laughs> or someone's going to say pig's tits. <laughs> you know, I think if they could get away with it, they would say pig's tits. Sarah is now convinced that Damon is a goon and because of him the kids can't be together uh, at Easter. Suck my balls, she tells them, and she storms off. Back at the flat, Sam is pissed off that he couldn't go Easter egg hunting at Granny Gales. I love it when he says Granny Gales. Yes. There's a knock at the door and it's Damon, here to make peace and clear the air with Leanne. Damon insists that he's laying roots down here, he likes it here. He doesn't want any bad blood. The bistro is his second chance. And he thinks Nick made a mistake taking money from Harvey, but Leanne and Sam will be happier with Nick back. He urges Leanne to press the reset button with him and Nick. And he makes a very good case, actually. He also tells a chilling story about learning how to play chess (laughs) and how he beat Harvey. And so Harvey burnt the chess set in the backyard overnight. Nick turns up at number eight, just Charming. ahead of Leanne and Sam at the Great Egg Hunt. And that's not rhyming slang. Leanne has had a change of heart, and Sam is happy to go off hunting eggs with Nick. Although why Nick is allowed to hunt eggs with his kids is anyone's guess. Leanne admits to Sarah that Damon visiting gave her stuff to think about and reminded Leanne that all she wants is her life back. Yes. Adam meets Sarah in the pub, tired after a long day. Sarah's not in the mood, and Adam is not in the mood for her to be in the mood, so he leaves her to it. 
and as Adam leaves, Damon comes in. Sarah brightens up, but Damon tells her that he's learned his lesson. He knows there's a thin line bef- between chasing and stalking. He's got her well message done. loud and clear, and he promises to give her a wide berth from now on, and he seems to mean it. And she's absolutely fucking gutted. Well, he seems to mean it until he turns around to the bar, and you can see a little bit of a smirk I was, in his face. I was looking for a smile there, and I didn't see a smile happen. I did. I didn't see I it. Did. He was smiling. He was, he was smizing. I don't think he was. But... Yeah, just like with Craig. Just like with Craig. The show is making it very easy for Damon by making Adam an other an utter shithead. Mm. You know, because the whole, oh, I can't go to the theme park on Good Friday because, you know, Dee Dee needs my help with the whole Damon thing, which just seems like something that could be done on Monday. <laughs> right. This could have been an email, Dee Dee. You know, or if he explained it to Dee Dee, oh, I'm sorry, I, I made this promise. She would understand. He's constantly standing Sarah up when they're supposed to be going out to lunch or doing things. Yeah. And then not apologizing for it. Not really. It's almost like Craig's suddenly been more of a buffoon. Yeah. Well, that's, yeah, that's the point I made right. in the beginning of the sentence. We're, 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 pushing, we're pushing Sarah closer to Damon. Right. By, by Adam. writing Adam into another mm. shit. Mm-hmm. Being like the shittiest husband ever. Yeah. This time last year, they were going through the whole, remember? The whole Lydia thing. The whole Lydia thing, the whole falling off a mezzanine level through a coffee cart. Thing. Uh, 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 and then being fine. But uh, Sarah was filing for divorce. Right. Round about that time. Yeah. So this relationship has kind of been built on sand a little bit. Always. I mean, it's it's always external factors that are influencing it, I guess. And yet, they have good chemistry together. They do. Adam and Sarah. They do. They are sizzling. Remember, remember two weeks ago when she just swept all of those papers off of his desk and had her way with him and it was like yes i believe this craig saying i love you to (laughs) say do not believe it (laughs) i I think sarah and damon also obviously have absolutely great chemistry together but yeah it's it seems uh if there's a, a relationship that's going to come to an end I mm-hmm. think if it's Adam and Sarah, I don't know that I don't know that I care too much about them together as a right. couple to really have much of an opinion one way or the other. Well, I care for Harry's sake. Yeah, but I mean, not I do that... like Damon. I do like Damon. I. It is a little frustrating for me the way that they've almost completely rewritten the Damon character because it's like. This is, I do not believe that this man is the same man who told his biological son. No, you're still upset about the Jacob stuff. Yeah. That he fucking hates him and wishes he was never born and says, I will kill you if you stay here. Right. And I will kill your girlfriend and all of her family. You know, this does not, it does not feel like the same person. No, it doesn't. I prefer this one. Yeah. Obviously. Yeah. And, and so that, but that is a little frustrating for me to. Yeah, to see true. that. And I mean, I know we've talked about other this happening to other characters like like Bernie. But I forgive the Bernie thing because there was really no risk in original Bernie or Bernie now. 
Bernie never threatened to kill anybody. She was just selling her daughter's pee on the internet. And we've, and all, honestly, I we've can, all been there. I can believe her selling Gemma's pee on the internet now, even though she's a different person than she was then. Oh, yeah, yeah. It was, uh, it was more the kind of ethereal part of her character that they kind of... The flower girl thing. They kind of fucked up a bit. Yeah. Oh, well. Oh, well. It's it's a coming. It's a coming. Oh, can we, can well, we agree on that, that it's a coming? Both of them are a coming. <laughs> it's a coming. Yeah. Yeah. You know what else I, I, I bet might be a coming? Because let's not forget, there's been an awful lot of talk especially from Adam, about knocking Sarah up. Yeah. So we're going to get like an actual soap opera storyline here, yeah, I'm hoping. I, th- I think we're going to get uh, Sarah knocked up and we don't know who the daddy is. Right. And give me that. Yeah. <laughs> give me a traditional dyed-in-the-wool, I-don't-know-who-my-child's-father-is soap opera storyline. Somebody clip that. Somebody clip that. Yeah. Because that'll come back to haunt you when you hate that that story. To me, (laughs) give that to me because I will not hate it. Because that's what soap operas should do—scandalous and low stakes. Yeah, I don't know. I just wish that Harry would swear a little less. Fuck you. (laughs) Our penultimate storyline tonight: everything's coming up, Glenda. Something else for you to love. On Friday at the Undertaker's, George is having a loud argument with a client who thinks that four thousand is a f- for a funeral is daylight robbery, and she insists on taking her business elsewhere. You couldn't buy a casket for four thousand in this country. We need to get some funeral insurance in. We do. And in the roles, George is complaining about his surly client to Glenda and Todd. He blames the Queen for raising people's expectations. I'm sure the Queen's funeral cost at least four thousand too. Well, and. Thank you to the show for finally acknowledging the death of a monarch. Mm. I could have done without that. <laughs> the surly woman has come back after checking prices elsewhere and is doing a deal with George when Glenda shows up and wouldn't you fucking know it, these two go back to the cruise ship days together and they regale us with a quick rendition of Everything's Coming Up Rosies. From Gypsy! Todd does jazz hands. The surly lady is Estelle, who may or may not have got her hole off of Prince Edward, which is surprising for a whole host of reasons. Actually, I think this is, he was doing the uh, sign language applause. I don't think it was jazz hands. No, he was doing jazz hands. Why would he be doing sign language applause? Because a lot of people do that now for applause instead of clapping. Why would he do jazz hands? Because they've just sung a musical number. You do jazz hands while they're doing the magical number. You did it when they were doing their final note. It was jazz hands. I think you need to deal with that. <clears throat> Gareth Pierce, we need you to tell us the truth. You, seriously, save yourself an email, Gareth. We don't. <laughs> we so the four of them hang out in the pub and share tall tales of life on the high seas. Estelle is now back in Blighty, married and settled down, but her mother-in-law died. Estelle didn't know Glenda was a Shuttleworth, as Glenda changed her name when she was on stage, and George seems a little bit annoyed by this and heads off back to work. Glenda, though, is a bit starstruck by Estelle. Yeah. So Estelle and Glenda continue their chat at the bar, although Glenda keeps it secret that she works in the local until Gemma blows her cover. Yes. Estelle owns a performing arts school, kind of like fame, and has a franchise model. 
And chat of this gets Glenda thinking, but Estelle already has a buyer for the Weatherfield franchise who just needs to pay up to finalise the deal. But she promises to keep Glenda in the loop. Right. So I wonder... It's like $9,000 for a franchise. I wonder where we're going with this. Hmm. Is she a con woman? Well, her name is Estelle. But they know each other. They're friends. Right. They have history together. Yeah. People on the show have been swindled by people they know, well, by is, family members. But the two of them together, again, again. I just love it. These are I the love things. it. <laughs> hands. See, See, jazz hands are down here. He was up here. He wasn't up there. He was. He, he was, was up, up here. There. He wasn't he here. He was there. He was at shoulder level. No, because he would have been knocking into George if he was at shoulder level. He was at shoulder level. He was. I didn't love his hands over his head. He did. He didn't. It looked like he was like a he was one of those inflatable things that you see outside car showrooms. Gareth, call me. Save yourself, save yourself ten p, Gareth. We can watch it again. <laughs> yeah, I'd really like this. I think uh, Glenda, Glenda behind the bar is just the best thing that's happened to Coronation Street in years. She is so good. Last week, before they found, before they knew what had happened to Daisy and Ryan, when everybody's just sitting there saying, where is the bride? And Glenda pops up and says, you want me to sing a couple numbers? (laughs) Get the crowd moving? (laughs) Our final storyline tonight is Compensation Street. On Monday, in Nina's roles, Dee Dee is paying for Paul's tea cake. Paul has started to think that Dee Dee is covering everything for him. Billy thinks this is a lovely friend thing to do and offers Paul his bed. Later, at the law office, a frustrated Adam lets slip that Dee Dee is paying Paul out of her own pocket and Paul is a proud man and reacts badly to this. Right. He confronts Dee Dee about it and lets her know how unhappy he is about it and refuses to take more from her in future. He goes home to pack... She chases after him, reminding him that he took care of her when she arrived in the street, and this was just her paying him back for that kindness. He accepts her apology, but still moves out so she can get a flatmate who pays their way. Right, and, and he depart- can get a flatmate <clears throat> who wants to have sex with him. Depart on good terms. So Paul goes and moves in with Billy and promises to earn his keep. Billy could not care less now, with that, sex. He'll, now that he'll be getting his hole on a regular basis. On Wednesday, Paul has moved more of his stuff into Billy's with the help of Dee Dee. His worldly goods are a couple of boxes. She makes sure he's told the collection company of his change of address. Paul says he's taking care of it. Later, Summer has helped him get the last of it. And she jokes that Paul looked like he was going to drop the boxes, which makes Billy make a Billy face. Mm. Billy's also worried that Paul's worried about his debt. So Paul goes off to find some work ahead of his consultant appointment today. So he goes to see Nick at the bistro and begs for a job, saying he'll do anything. The only thing Nick has is a junior dishwasher, so Paul bites his hand off, so to speak. Paul phones around for other gigs, then bumps into summer, and they arrange to meet at Speeddal later to celebrate his new, less than minimum wage job at the bistro. Paul promises to pay for it, even though he has no money. And then, we're at the hospital for the first time in ages. Or the first time since last week. Right, yeah, I was going to say, what, is Ryan chopped liver? 
Well, I didn't get a chance to press the button for that. Mm. At the hospital, Paul's consultant is the weirdest doctor ever, who first tells Paul that she doesn't know what he's got and wants more tests done, but then goes on to tell him that it might be more neuron disease, and if it is, he'll probably be dead inside three years. It's all very perfunctory and very important storyline in inverted commas, but either way, Paul is devastated and barely hears when she tells him that she'll get him an appointment with a specialist who'll be able to confirm one way or the other. And she tells him when he gets his specialist appointment to bring his partner along. I think the way that this has been written, and that scene in particular, wasn't great. But the way that Paul has dealt with it has been... Very, very good. Peter Ashe's, uh performance of Paul in that situation very was, good. was very, very good. But it did seem a bit information overload for the benefit of the viewer rather right. than for the benefit of the character, yeah. which always stands out as being a bit awkward and, and right. cringy a little bit. Because if you ever ask somebody, a doctor, how long you've got, Right. They never tell you, or they give you a very, very wide range. Right. She's already said to him that it might not be this. This right. is this is what this is what it's kind of presenting as. But right. We, but we don't know what this is yet. So right. because I don't know what this is, I can't possibly tell you what the the outcome is likely to right. be. But she does it anyway. Yeah. And she does it anyway so that Paul can do other things in the right. storyline. Yeah. And and that. <laughs> That's not great for me. No. I I do think that sometimes, especially in situations like this, doctors can be very cold and informal, though, or awkward or inappropriate in the way they they handle detached. things like this. And yes. I guess sometimes they have to be detached because right. they're doing this how many times a day? Right. And doctors are not perfect. Right. So Paul goes to start his shift at the bistro by looking up symptoms of motor neuron disease. Nick tells him to be careful of the scalding water, but it seems that Paul has already felt it and didn't recognise the heat. It seemed that that's what they were doing. Right. But it wasn't really It wasn't clear. very clear. Later, Bernie invites herself along to the speed dial date with Summer. And there's a very touching scene where Paul is counting his money and the tenor blows out of his hand. And it's like he's got 15 quid left and he's right. just lost a tenor of it. But a wee boy runs over and picks it up and brings it back to him. And that right. was kind of lovely. And I was yeah. like, oh my, I think I'm good at <laughs> I wee, think I'm filling up here. The wee boy played soccer on the street randomly with his father. Right. Instead of, you know, at the Red Wreck. Yeah. At Speed Dial, Paul doesn't order anything, which someone notices. And she gives him half of her meal while Bernie stuffs her face. It turns out that Bernie is still expecting Paul to get a massive payout. And she talks about spending it on a flash holiday. Later, Paul confesses that he can't afford to pay for dinner. So Summer has to cover it. And Summer's fine about covering it. Right, yeah. But they give the bill to Bernie and Bernie's like, oh, sorry, China, I'm not a pair, I'm an eater. Well, I'm not too sure how long I'd be uh, humouring that situation. Right, well, she invited herself. She did. Paul so, just didn't say no, because yeah. that's his mum. Back at the flat, Paul can't sleep and he becomes increasingly upset when he tries and fails to pick up a glass of water. Oh, I'm so so devastated for him it's it's awful it's you know it's so sad and you know and it, and it's also sad the way that he he seemingly is keeping this from mm -hmm. 
from Billy and from his mom and from his sister and from Summer. You know, he's... I mean, they, they must know at least some of it because this whole nerve thing has been going on for a while. Well, they know it's not that. I think that's all they know, but he doesn't tell them. I don't even think they, I don't even think they know that. They yeah, just... Billy, Billy was in the, and with Gadas when Gadas says, this isn't, this isn't your nerves then. This is something else. Right. But I think Billy's the only one who knows. Right. And doesn't know the extent of it and doesn't right. know the potential extent right. of it. Because all Paul says that they still don't know, which is true because they've said that they still don't know. Right. He hasn't had that, that yeah. firm diagnosis yet. No. But the thing that's getting me watching this, the thing that's getting me upset uh, as I'm watching it is Paul's never really been happy. No. Or not for a not for an extended period of time. No. And Paul really deserves to be happy. And he and he never will be. And he and never will be. And that's just so so sad and so depressing. Yeah, I mean, this is this is and it's just driven home. By the way, he talks about, you know, he's, you know, in his early 30s and this is all he has to show for his life. Yeah, there's bits coming up that are yeah. pretty, pretty deep and, yes. and huge as well. So let, let's get to that. Yes, please. So on Friday, uh, Billy has let Paul oversleep saying that he looked peaceful, which is not foreboding at all. No. Billy wants to tell Summer that Paul's broke and borrowed from a payday loan company as if to shame him, but then says there's no shame in being in debt. Billy's off to do some Good Friday work, whatever that means. Paul bumps well, into Carla Friday service. and Nina rolls and the two of them make up. He apologises for trying to sue her. She apologises for bumping into him and making him fall off a stationary motorbike. Carla pays for Paul's coffee and that's about all he's going to get out of her. Right, and then he gives her a hug. Yeah, that was lovely as well. It was and surprised lovely. her. Right. <laughs> On and she still has that ponytail. On the street and in the earshot of Paul, Gemma gets a call from the wedding venue people who have gone bust. She wants to cancel the whole wedding now. She's lost the money that's been ploughed into this, but Paul won't hear a word of it and is determined to make sure Gemma's wedding will go ahead. Paul goes to see Nick about more shifts, but when he tries the office door, he finds it unlocked and there's a big pile of cash and some dirty magazines on the desk. There's no dirty magazines on the desk, but there's a lot of money. That's what you think. But rather than steal the money, Paul stands guard and explains what he may have prevented when Nick comes back. But this good deed is not enough to generate a sympathy shift. And then Nick uh, clams up when he spots Damon with Adam in another storyline. And it looks like Paul might know Damon from the estate or something. So in the rovers, Paul sees Damon and tries to sweet talk him about Harry being a legend. Paul knows Damon knows people and he's looking for some quick cash. Damon isn't impressed until Paul gives Damon the lowdown on his supposed death sentence, how he's going to be lucky to see 35, and how he wants to make a difference to his family before he goes. He's he's going to leave this world about as stupid as he was when he came into it, and he's got nothing to show for... Right, no child, no, you know, no home, no all these other things. And it's like, I think Summer would take umbrance at that. Yeah, when he's gone, it'll be almost as if he never existed. Right. Which, <sighs> you know, is depressing, but also untrue. Right. This seems to melt Damon's heart, and he gives Paul a number of a guy who knows a guy who needs to steal a car as an insurance scam, but he warns Paul not to pursue it. Paul pursues it. George meets Paul in the Rovers later. Paul is in a co- contemplative mood, looking at the details of the job that he scribbled down. George, unfortunately, is in a chatty mood and thinks Paul's gassed when he nearly spills his pint. 
How many of them have your had? Asks George. Suck my balls, says Paul, and he storms out. Right, so, yeah. And and George makes some gallows humor about, you know, oh, you have any more of those? You know, I'll be seeing you in a professional capacity. And George couldn't possibly know no. that Paul has been given a death sentence. But this is absolutely not the thing that Paul needs to hear right now. No. But it's a nothing conversation. Right. But it, it's also ridiculous that George, you know, accuses him of being drunk with the drink. Because I think everybody at this on the street at this point knows about the whole nerve damage thing. And that he has this problem with his, with his hands and mm. everything. And especially George should know because he works with Todd who is one of my three dads. So in the shady part of town, Paul steals a Range Rover that has its keys hidden underneath the sun visor. Off he drives, job done. And unlocked. But outside the precinct, wouldn't you, Adam and Eve, Paul gets a flat and he's blocking access to the playground. Hello, hello, hello. A PC turns up. What's all this? Unhappy of the the obstruction, so gives Paul a hand to change the tyre because cops do that. I know. I was like, Paul meets Gemma. What is going on here? Paul meets Gemma in the pub and hands over three hundred quid that he says he got from flogging some of his stuff. And reluctantly, Gemma accepts it when Paul says he wants to see Gemma and the ginger bloke walk down the aisle this year. <clears throat> and then he tells her to put the money away because it looks like a drug deal. <laughs> Back home, Paul finds Billy in an odd mood, and Billy accuses Paul of lying and wants to hear the truth from him. Because it turns out that the innocuous exchange between Paul and George earlier was enough for George to grasp Paul up about it and thought that Paul was out of his tits on booze. Paul says that he had a lot in his mind with Gemma and promises to apologise to George. Billy apologises for being a total psycho about this whole non-event and offers Paul a chippy tea, whatever the fuck he means by that. And when he's gone, Sex. Paul phones Damon's contact and says he's available for any other jobs that come up. And that... That's how we end this week's episode. Yeah, it's a shady bloke named Neil. <laughs> Niall. Yeah, Niall. Same thing. No. No, a little different. <laughs> what the hell, George? You told a grown man uh-huh. that another grown man was drunk in a pub? Right. And so why is Billy so outrageously upset by this? Oh, when, when Paul came in, Billy could have easily just joked about it oh you had a few right and probably like do i look like i've had a few right yeah because he's obviously not drunk but billy gives it this the whole somebody shoved mike kind of routine where he's where he's indignantly furious about something he has no business being furious about right yeah and just fuck off billy seriously and the way that the, God. and the whole way it's written, like you, like you and Paul don't know what Billy is talking about. It could be anything. It could be anything. And it's like, how on earth would he have known that he stole a car for insurance fraud? Is it, or is he? Did I maybe leave a jobby floating in the <laughs> toilet this morning? Is maybe that why he's so upset? Did he find out I'm going to die and didn't tell him? Did he think I was doing a drug deal with Gemma? Seriously, it could be anything. Oh, God. Dearie me, Billy. This is... And we're George. We're just not operating on the same wave. Yeah. And then George goes and takes a shit at Eileen's rug. <laughs> Why? <laughs> on the glass coffee table. Right. Right. But at least she's got a leash on him when he does it. <laughs> I think you're, See, it all circles back. You're shining a little bit too much light on, <laughs> on how your mind back. works here, I think. All circles back. 
Yeah, George even seen, seen Billy in the street and go, oh, I need to tell him how much a prick Paul was. Right. Even I at that to... level, is just like a stupid, unbelievable thing to do. I need to confront him about how drunk his boyfriend was. Uh, and it's a shame because everything about this has been done so well. <sighs> no, it isn't. For it to end on a note like this but, is... But yeah, exactly. Off-putting. There are aspects of this story, there are beats on this story that aren't working for me because it's been done for the story's benefit, not the character's benefit. Right. The meeting with the doctor and all that sort of stuff. But Paul, Paul is just such a lovable character. Right. And I I don't know that the character's been given a fair crack here. He really... I'm still mad that he never got justice for being raped by his stepdad. No, no he never. And he never he will never. because the dude's dead now. Right. And that was weirdly handled as well. It was we just so found weirdly handled. In the canal. Right. There's so much... So much of Paul has been mishandled. Putting him back with Billy is just... Dear God, yeah. he deserves better. Don't get me started. He really deserves better. He really does. But there was something about the way that it was, you know, here's a character who hasn't really had a fair crack of the whip, who hasn't had much joy in his life, or where it has, it's always been fleeting, and it's and he's kind of mucked it up a little bit for himself, but, you know, it's it's been manufactured by Todd a few times, but, you know, right. we've kind of got through all that. But still, he's a hard worker, he's a kind of salt-of-the-earth guy. He loves nothing's, his family. Nothing's come easy for him. He's hard to work for everything that he's got, which isn't a lot. Right. But he's worked hard for what he does have. And he's humble about it, you know? And he's not... He's not angry, necessarily, about it the way, say, Stephen is, that, you know, he's 60 years old and look where he's at and how dare the world treat me this way. Mm. You know, Paul has every right to say how dare the world treat me this way. And isn't and doesn't. And for his, for those aspects of his character, which makes him, you know, the kind of the underdog and the the the, the plucky runner-up and the person that you're you're kind of you're you're behind. You want you want him to to succeed. You want him to to do well for himself and his family and, and all those aspects that go along with it. Mm-hmm. And the way that the doctor describes. His, his death, how right. he's going to die, is terrifying. Yeah, that your your body is going to waste to a point where you can't breathe. Right, unassisted. Right, and that is just a a terrifying notion. Mm-hmm. And I don't know, I don't know what it is about about that about this disease and this this death and how um how how awful it is. Mm-hmm. I don't know why that it's well maybe I do, but it squares very very unfairly with yes. the character that, that Paul is. Yes. I mean is there, is, is there a good way to die? I don't know, no. but this isn't a good way to die. No. And so so even in death he has right. to do it the hard way. Yeah, because there's really nothing they can do about it. Right. There's you know, at least at least with say cancer you have a bit of a chance, you know, there, there are things that may help or may slow it. Right. There's really nothing they can do for, for this. No. And 
And I think the way that they described Bill in the other storyline, mm-hmm. where he was out of his tits and morphine, mm-hmm. that's the best they can hope for. Yeah. That you're so out of it that you have no idea what's going on. Right. That you go like our teddy dog went. Right. I'd take that. Yeah. As opposed to kind of becoming a prisoner in your own body. Exactly. And that's... that's that, that is terrifying. I, that, I guess, is the the most horrifying part of it. And mm-hmm. and, and it is. It's, that's it. It's the... Even in death, he has to do it the hard way. Mm-hmm. There's, there's no easy way out for him. So, you know, your life's been shit and you've had to fight for the pittance that you earn till to... Be at your age where you're going from one flat share to the next and you mm-hmm. don't really know where the next paycheck's coming from. You haven't been on vacation for God knows how long, right. if, if at all. And we're going to give you a really shitty way to die as well. Yeah. And and your last relationship is Billy. <laughs> right. And George is going to grass you up every chance he gets. Right. And your only child is Summer. <laughs> Oh, low blow. Low blow. Yeah, Summer has been, yeah, especially since Summer has been... She's been fine this week. Fine. Yeah, yeah. Well, was that the week that was Coronation Street? I... I think that was the two weeks that was Coronation Street. Right, yeah. Tell me, Helen, what was your moment of this week? This is tough because it's kind of hard for me to remember what happened last week and what happened this week, except, of course, for the acid attack yeah which i know was last week i don't know what was your moment of the week i really liked peter and amy's chat together i thought um the way that peter was putting it across was exactly how he had to say mm-hmm. it and yeah. it was good for amy to hear that coming from her uncle peter right peter and amy very rarely get scenes together right but when they do i thought that was I thought it was exceptionally well done. Yes. Yeah. No, I can go for that. Oh, splendid. Well, that is our moment of the week. Moment of the week. Your boring moment of the week. Now, there was no Daniel this week. No. Where's the pity? Is it Rita complaining about Puccini? Rita complained about postmodernism. I thought that was hilarious. That was hilarious. <laughs> I just hate it, right? <laughs> Right, because she can't off. say postmodernism can't. right. No. What did she say? I can't remember, but it was brilliant anyway. Right. That was the best thing that Rita's had to say in ages. Right. Well, no, because Rita stickied up for Daisy with those fannies that she grew up with. That was oh, yeah. also awesome. Yeah. <laughs> right, because Brian just like corrects how she says it. She's like, I don't fucking care what it is called. I just hate it. And then she goes off for a shite. Right. <laughs> Is it Nick? Yes, I think it might be. But but pray tell me why. For me, it's Nick having to say twice that uh, none of his family want anything to do with him. Right. Yes. Yes. Thank you. Thank you. Harry was carrying that scene. <laughs> so that's our... Boy moment of the week. Soft play. <laughs> oh, well... That poor kid that's going to follow him the rest of his life. And it's all down to us. Well, it's good to get back into the podcasting saddle, isn't it, Helen? It is. So, if you've... Ever done soft play? (laughs) 
If you have the whatever first, that means to you. If you have the first idea what soft play is, write in to tell us about it. We're the talk of the street at gmail.com and we're at Corey Podcast on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. You can shout me and Helen a coffee by heading to Kofi.com. That's K-O-Fi.com slash the talk of the street. Please. Check out the clicky clicky section of Vogel.co.uk for links to our merch store and YouTube channel. And if you're so inclined, please leave a rating and a review on the iTunes or your podcast provider of choice. Thanks for making it to the end of another episode. And we will be back next week with more A Talk of the Street. Cheerio. Bye.